And in continuing with that, I'd like to talk about other barriers to transformation that can exist. And this is a big one for me. And I'm going to start by telling uh, the story of Josiah. And Josiah is a very interesting story about uh, redemption and restoration and transformation for an entire group of people. Um, uh, so uh, this is... Uh, this is a story that is happening right before the exile of the people of Israel. So this is Second uh, Kings 22. Uh, this is uh, about 1,500 years after David. Um, and, uh, but this is the king of Judah that comes into power at that time, Judah being the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was. So uh, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. So we take the Bible literally here, so we've decided that we're going to make an eight-year-old the leader of the church. So Isaac, that's you. Um, You're in charge now. What do do we do next? (laughs) Do you think you're ready to become king at this point? No? Okay, no problem. So this is an interesting uh, reality because Josiah became king at eight years old. His dad was Ammon. His dad uh, and his granddad was Manasseh. Now Manasseh, according to the Bible, was the most evil of the kings that Israel ever had. In fact, the Bible says very clearly of Manasseh that uh, Manasseh made the streets of Jerusalem run red with blood from one end to the next. That's how horrible he and horrific he was to his own people. He brought in idolatry and all kinds of the worst things that you can imagine, completely ignoring the way of the Lord. So that was Josiah's granddad. Now, uh, when uh, Josiah's granddad dies, uh, Josiah's dad, Ammon, becomes king. Ammon becomes king and reigns until he's about 22 years old. Uh, he also, the Bible says, followed in the ways of his father. Also really terrible, also incredibly violent. He gets assassinated, and when he's assassinated, uh, Josiah becomes king, and he reigns for 31 years. His mother's name was Jedediah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. This was the greatest compliment that the Bible could give to a king of Israel, that they followed in the ways of their father David. And this is interesting for Josiah because that means that he rejected the ways of his father and his grandfather and instead followed the ways of the Lord that he had known. Uh, the, and, and he didn't turn to the right or left. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was, uh, oh, sorry, I just did put, put that up there twice. That's what's going on there. And it's interesting because this language that he followed completely in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or the left, that was the way that kings were evaluated scripturally. Their only evaluation was based on how well did they do at following the Lord. They weren't evaluated on military victories. They weren't evaluated on economic prosperity. Uh, They weren't evaluated on any kind of growth programs. They were evaluated by whether or not they followed the Lord because the expectation of the people of the Lord was always that if the king follows the Lord, if we follow the Lord, then our economic systems and our military victories will be assured. We don't have to worry about that part. What is important is is that we turn our hearts towards the Lord. And this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 17 in the law that they had been given thousands of years beforehand. This was the rule for the king that that in a previous paragraph he's not supposed to accumulate large large amounts of wealth for himself. 
But then it says, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of the law taken from that of the Levitical priests, and it is to be with him. And he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign for a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This is really interesting. The king's not supposed to study military history. The king's not supposed to study economic prosperity guidelines. The king doesn't need to be a business expert or an agricultural expert. The king needs to be someone who understands the law, who listens to the word of the Lord, and, under, and does not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. Don't get greedy. Listen to the Lord. That was the standard. So it's very fascinating in this place where we find Josiah, so in the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah, he's a, he's a bright, he's a, a ripe old 25 at this point. Uh, King Josiah sent the care secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshalim, to the temple of the Lord. And he said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and make, uh, make him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people, make them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. So basically, Josiah is just saying there's some repair work that needs to be done to the temple. Take the temple's money, pay the guys that are doing the repair work. They're doing some renovations. You got you got to take care of the temple. That is a, 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 the, an ongoing reality of the world. No matter what we build, it will need to be repaired at some point in time. But over the course of the renovations and the repair, Hilkiah finds something. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan, who read it. And then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and the supervisors of the temple. We did that. But then the chief and the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. This is a fascinating moment in the history of the people of God that they have forgot, so forgotten the law that they didn't even have a copy of it. A thousand years earlier, the law was danced with. A thousand years earlier, they had loved the law so much because God had revealed to them what he wanted them to do. And this was the law that made them different than all of the people around them. They had lost their way. The thing that God had given them to, to make them different from everyone else, they had, they had lost. And now they had found it again. And as Josiah hears it, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes, and he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, son of Saphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Saphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Okay, I just want to take a quick aside, stepping out of what we were talking about before. You just heard me read a bunch of names. Do you know if I got them right or not? No, neither do I. Um, I have a little bit more training than you, but I sometimes hear people who are embarrassed to read the Bible out loud because they get to all those names and they're just like, I don't know how to pronounce that and I feel dumb. Don't worry about it. Wing it. Nobody knows if you're getting it right or not. Like, don't be embarrassed. Just whatever, whatever syllables come out of your mouth, just say them. Like, don't let that be, 
Don't let that be the thing that prevents you from reading the Bible publicly or out loud because I'm going to get names wrong. Forget it. It's fine. Uh, I just made it up and you have no idea. Um, we're all making it up. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, uh, so he gets all these people and he says, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord anger, anger that is burned against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. When he says they have not, they have not acted, he's not talking about some nebulous vague they. He's talking about his granddad and his dad. His granddad made the streets of Jerusalem run red with blood from one end to the other. His, his dad started on the same path. Justice was not done for the people. The poor were taken advantage of. There was not equal access to the justice system. Unequal weights and measures existed. Violence and oppression existed. The king accumulated for himself large amounts of wealth and wives and all of those things and forgot the way of the Lord and it was miserable for the people. So when Josiah sees this, he doesn't react to it as somebody who's like, oh, we need to put this back, go seal this back up in the wall so no one ever knows the difference. What Josiah does is he humbles himself and he hears that, oh, wow, this, things are not going well. This is going to turn us around. The horror that he and his people have endured now makes sense. He says that we have not obeyed and we have not acted in accordance with what God has taught us how else can we expect this to go? So the next stage is that Hilkiah the priest, Achanam, Sobor, Saphan, Esaiah, all went to see the prophet Huldah, who is the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, son of Harris, uh, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the New Order. Just a quick aside here as well, although directly related to the text. Women prophets. How many of you women knew that there was that the, the prophet that they went to when the when the law was restored was a woman. Yeah, you didn't, because guys like me haven't talked about it very much. But uh, I love this image of the prophet Huldah, who is the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, the son of Harris, the keeper of the wardrobe, and they live in the new quarter. It's like, yeah, we got the lady prophet and her husband, who's the fashion guy, and uh, they live in like that hipster neighborhood over there. But we're going to go, we're going to go talk to them. But yeah. And what does she say? But this is interesting because God was still revealing himself through this woman, even though the, the, the law had been lost. And she said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book of Judah, the book the king of Judah has read, but because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and it will not be quenched. That is uh, not very encouraging. However, tell the king of Judah, who you sent to inquire, that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace, and your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. For Josiah, because he humbled his heart, he is exempted from the destruction that is coming. And I think that that's kind of a fascinating thing that happens, that Josiah knows 
that he's not going to avert the course of history with his actions, but he's still going to do the right thing. Because sometimes that's all you can do, is to do the right thing. So he starts, and they went to the temple of the Lord. So then the king called together the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all of the people from the, la- from the least to the greatest, and he read in their hearing all of the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord, which was interesting because uh, the king wasn't supposed to read the law publicly. It was supposed to be, anyway, uh, somebody else was supposed to do it, and he was supposed to declare the, cover- the covenant. But anyway, the king stood by the pal- pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all of his heart and soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Then the king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. These are all the idols that had come into the temple uh, that were distracting from the worship of the Lord. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and those around Jerusalem, to those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations of the, and the starry hosts. And then what he does is that the, the, the destruction continues. Josiah brought priests from all the towns and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba where they burn incense. He broke down the gateway of the entrance of the gate of Joshua, uh, he, uh, he, he, he took the priests that were worshiping uh, and, and offering sacrifices in all these places that were to, to uh, idols, and he, and he brought them back to Jerusalem and, and basically said, you're not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, he, didn't, uh, he, he didn't murder them, surprisingly. Um, he, decorated, he desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice their daughter their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. This is a place where child sacrifice had taken place. He destroys it and tears it down. He removes from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses uh, that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. So there were monuments and statues that had been placed that were idolatrous. He tears those down. Um, he pulled down the altars to the kings of Ju- the kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz. They had built all altars in their own palaces. He destroys all of those. Uh, he destroys the altars his granddad built. He removed them from there, smashed them to pieces in rubble, and threw them into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated high places, uh, high places that were east of Jerusalem and south on the hill of corruption, the ones that Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians. They're keeping some, he's just going through and tearing down every idol that exists in the country. You're not going to have it anymore. For the vile god of Moab and the detestable god of Moloch, he smashed sacred stones and poles and, and, and ruined the sites. And it's interesting, at the beginning, all of this renewal, all of this change, all of this repentance, all of this, all of this turning to follow the Lord, at the beginning, it looks like destruction. Because you know, just by being human, as this is going on, there's somebody, going, there's somebody saying, like, this is a waste of a lot of a lot of a lot of infrastructure right we worked really hard to erect these idols 
There is, uh, we've invested money and time and effort in building these idols. And even though they distract us from the Lord, maybe we don't have to like tear them down completely, right? Isn't that a bit excessive? They're saying that, oh, you know, we know that there were people who wanted him to go halfway. We know that there were people who wanted him to tear down partial things. And we know that because that's what the kings of Israel had done beforehand. They said, oh, we're going to, many of them were like, we're going to kind of go back to the law, but we're not going to tear down the high places. We're not going to tear down the, the idolatrous statues. We're, to, we're just going to leave those there because it's, it's worthwhile infrastructure. And a lot of people put a lot of effort into building those idols some of whom we like, and, and wouldn't it be terrible to tear down all of their work, even though it is distracting us from following the Lord and being the people that we've been called to be, and, and, and ultimately leading to destruction and doom for all of us? Somebody put a lot of effort into that road. It doesn't matter if it's killing us, right? We know that there are people who who's, were so desperate to avoid destruction that they were willing to embrace their own eventual demise, that the, that the sand castles that they had built were so distracting to them that they were unwilling to see that God was going to wipe the whole thing away if they didn't turn their hearts towards him. All this change and renewal begins and looks like destruction. And we see this clearly. And how often in our own lives does this become a barrier to transformation? And we know that in order for us to be who God has called us to be, we've got to tear some things down in our lives. We've got to get out of some relationships that are potentially destructive. We've got to, we've got to get out of an economic situation that, that we spent a long time building. We've got to, to get out of protocols and patterns and ways of being and, and, and policies that we have spent a long time and a lot of effort building and crafting, and how dare you make us destroy these things. They may be distracting us from the Lord, but can't we have both? And God every time says, no, you can't have it both ways. If you want to truly follow the Lord, there are going to be things in your life that need to be smashed and torn down. And God says, I would sooner see your life in rubble and you following me than you trying to follow me carrying an idol on your back. It doesn't work. And we see this so easily as churches. We see this so easily as denominations and as evangelical Christianity that, that the idols that we've built are so distracting us from following the Lord, that we've built political parties and movements and publishing companies and, 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 and businesses, and we've said that these are the things that are good, and yet they're distracting us from the Lord, and when it comes time to tear them down, we are so unwilling to do it. We are so unwilling to say that it's an idol, we need to destroy this thing. And that's true structurally, and that's true individually as well. So the question that we're forced to uh, to deal that we're forced to wrestle with as we're asking for transformation for the from the Lord is are we willing to see destruction to the things that are that are keeping us from following him are we willing to truly surrender all to him in order to be transformed into what he is calling us to be 
Because lest you think that that kind of destruction was only an Old Testament thing, lest you think that that, 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 that was just, oh, that was just when God was really angry and then he mellowed out around the, the New Testament and, and, and he doesn't work through destruction anymore. This is what Paul says in Colossians. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Destruction still needed to be, go, to go, to be gone through for our transformation. And Christ took that destruction on himself. The ultimate symbol of that is Jesus on the cross being destroyed for our reconciliation to be presented holy in the sight of God without blemish and to free you from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. God wanted us to, needs, wanted us to destroy all of the idols that we had built, the barriers that we had built that were keeping us from knowing him. And that is a demonstration of what needed to happen and as, a, as an example, but also a, 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 as a functional sacrifice, he was willing to destroy himself and his son in order for that reconciliation and in order for that transformation to take place. So as we come to this table where we remember the Lord's death until he comes again, as we come to this table where we, where we, eat the, where we symbolically eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ, where we, where we partake in the symbol that reminds us of the reality of, of Christ's torture and death on our behalf, I want us to, to think about the question, what needs to be destroyed in order for us to truly follow Jesus? What do we need to tear down in order to keep our minds and our hearts from being distracted by things that are going to lead us astray? What are the things that, that, that we need to, to, to tear down and leave behind in order to truly and fully and completely follow Jesus? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you offer to us the opportunity to be transformed by you. And we recognize that we have all of us built up in our habits and in our attitudes and in our hearts and in our minds, we have built idols and ways of being and sinful behaviors that are distracting us from knowing you and hearing your voice and being who you have called us to be. So we would ask that you would give us the strength like Josiah to begin to destroy some of those things. That we would be so dismayed at where we are that we will do anything to get back to what you have called us to, even if that means destroying everything around us and suffering the pain that comes from that. And we ask as we spend some time in silence before coming to your table, that you would bring to mind those things that need to be torn down and that we would feel peace and love and courage as we face those things and as we, as we attempt to destroy those things in our hearts and minds, knowing that, that, that you and what you offer are better by far than those things 
that we hold on to that keep us from you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. And we will spend a few moments in silent prayer together.